welcome to another episode of Chatty Broads with Becca and Jess. Hello. This is exciting. I am very excited. Oh my god, dude. I am so nervous. I'm so nervous excited for this right now. We're about to become Bible broads again. Serious Bible broads. We are Rob Bell broads and our guest today is the one and only Rob Bell. Can you believe? I'm kind of tripping out. It was, it's when we had the initial, uh, spiritual podcast that we put out, the response was so amazing from everyone and so generous regardless of what everyone's belief system was yes um and obviously i was quoting rob bell like a maniac so we reached out and he was so gracious yeah just emailed him off of like what his website or something his like info at please don't start emailing that poor guy maybe i should do that (laughs) people are like rob rob answer us um but it wasn't his personal email and then he responded from his personal email and i was just that's awesome so we're having him today and Mm -hmm. we're so excited um, I'm actually, I'm a little nervous for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure you kind of are too. Me as well. One, I'm a little starstruck because, okay, so maybe we should, should we let him talk about his background or should we get a little background on him right now? Like for those who don't, who may not be familiar with who he is or may have only heard you quote him on sure. the God pod. Uh, sure. Um, I mean, we'll let him have a little explanation of who he is, but he is, uh, known in the evangelical Christian community. He was, uh, a pastor for one of the biggest mega, the fastest, uh, growing mega churches, uh, years and years ago, um, incredible pastor. And then he put out a book called love wins, uh, that had some controversial content in it and everything kind of went crumbling down and, um, it caused a lot of controversy in the church and a lot of people had a problem with it. Uh, he kind of became like Oprah's spiritual advisor. She was reaching out to him. Well, his his of, role shifted. One of the biggest reasons that he, I believe, if I'm not incorrect, that he was kind of like exiled from the Western Christian church scene was because, was it because mainly he said that there was no support for the biblical hell or, or what was it? It was more of a, he, he is a man who asks a lot of questions, which is something I admire about him. And in the book, Love Wins, he does talk about the concept of heaven and hell. And is it really a literal and what's the biblical support for a literal heaven and hell? And he doesn't outright say no, but the question is posed um, in a way that people did not like. Well, and I think one of the big, his biggest things is how could a just God want to torture his creation eternally mm-hmm. um, for not doing what they're supposed to, I guess. Which is one of our biggest questions. Yeah. So one of the huge reasons we're excited to have him on is to discuss that. Um, but also since then, he has started his own podcast called The Robcast, written numerous other books that are amazing um, and has really become a person who is a spiritual mentor for a lot of people. Um, I don't think he considers himself to be a pastor anymore. He no longer pastors a church, but his podcast, and if you go see a live show of his, is almost like this type of church service. Well, and he's written many books too. Mm -hmm. And there's also a uh, documentary about him that you can watch. I downloaded it on Amazon and it's called The Heretic. Mm -hmm. And it's all about basically his downfall in the Western church and kind of like the controversy that he stirred up. But also 
about, you know, the questions that we all pose. Anyway, I, so I'm nervous because he's a big figure, but also because we're really going to get into the nitty gritty about mm-hmm. um, the church and God and what does God mean and what mm-hmm. does it mean to be a Christian and what does it mean if you're not and are you going to he- going to go to hell? And I just want to say as kind of a disclaimer, we are not as we're interviewing him, it, we are not suggesting that he is the final authority on what to right, believe right. at all. You know, I don't think either of us would be like, yes, Rob Bell is everything he says we agree with. Right. Um, I think we just kind of want to probe his mind and find out what mm-hmm. he thinks about some of the things that we've wrestled with and that we've discussed on the podcast and, you know, gone Absolutely. over a lot in our own hearts and minds. Absolutely. I definitely admire him um, as a, a writer, as a speaker. So many of the things that he has written and spoken about re- have resonated with me in my journey. Um, so just like Becca said, we don't consider him to be God. <laughs> right. So when he, we have him come in and we're going to ask him a lot of questions, uh, we would ask again, just as you were in our last spiritual episode, to be generous and open and um, know that this is Becca and I really kind of putting our heart and soul and questions out into the universe. And processing openly. And processing openly, our, openly ourselves. And um, yeah. Well, before we get all into this interview with Rob Velvet, I'm, so, I'm so uh, jittery, excited, everything. It's going to be really, really good, I think. Yes. And uh, before we do our first ad, uh, we have to say again that our sponsors today do not affiliate with necessarily any belief we're talking about. Sure, yeah. So let's not, you know. Yeah. I just want to make that and clear. I, and again, just I'm, I, I feel like we're beating a dead horse. But again, I just want to make it clear that we are verbally, openly processing through mm-hmm. beliefs. Um, we might say things that we ourselves don't even really believe. It's just yeah, talking it through the questions we all have about why Around we're here. table conversation. Yes. Why are we here? What are we doing here? What does it mean yeah. to be a Christian? What does it mean to not be religious? You know, all we're these things. We're going to become... philosophical broads it's a journey yeah it's a journey so all right uh but girl you you know who we got to talk about of course i do we got to talk about fab Fab fit fun Fun. (laughs) oh yes fab fit fun it's a seasonal subscription box with full-size beauty fitness fashion and lifestyle products we love it the box that retails for 49.99 but always has a value of over 200 dollars. i think every time that i open the door you start laughing at me because i'm always wearing or using one of my fabulous yeah you're wearing the necklace right now this great opal necklace i'm obsessed with it i've been wearing it every single day haven't taken it off um and actually numerous of you even dm me about it it's fab fit fun babes obviously and fab fit fun is way more than cute necklaces every box you get will always have amazing products in it from companies Companies like Bear Paw, Juice Beauty, Free People, and much more. These boxes do sell out quickly. So sign up today by going to fabfitfun.com and using the coupon code CHATTY for $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and code CHATTY for $10 off your first box. Well, let's get chatty. Let's get and, chatty uh, with Rob get Bell. Get right into it. Uh, well, thank you for being here. Yes, we are My here. Pleasure. Mr. Rob Bell. I we feel like so I have to call you by your full name. Rob's fine. <laughs> are you sure? Yes. Okay. And a podcast in a back house. <laughs> That's true. true. Yeah. So Rob has his own back house podcast, which it's called the Robcast, correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. 
check that out. I'm a huge fan. Listen to it all the time, and I think the broads would enjoy it. So, yeah. um, but that's your that's your audience. Your listeners are the broads. The broads. Call them the broads. Oh, I love it. Yep, the, the broad the broad squad. And oh, then, even better. And then mm-hmm. we have some male. Most of our listeners are females, but we yes. have some male listeners, and they're the broad bros. Yes. So. Or, yeah. we're, you know, we're crafting that like one. We're kind of workshopping. Yeah. I've oh, gotten yeah. invited into here. <laughs> it's true. You might start having hashtag broad squad showing up all over your podcast. On your reviews. Yeah. So yes. Really? They yeah. Like no, that too. actually might happen. Yeah. Great. Everyone go give Rob Bell five stars on his podcast. Uh, yeah. and <laughs> hashtag, hashtag broad, broad squad. squad. <laughs> Prove it to him. <laughs> Let him see the power. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, we have so, like so much we want to talk about today. Yeah. Before, okay. before we hop in, do you mind giving our listeners a little bit of an intro? Obviously, um, for the listeners who have heard our God in the Broads episode, you know that I came in very nervous to talk about uh, uh religion spiritual based episode yeah but i came in with a stack of papers and my hair is just like this like quoting rob bell and richard Rohr all over the place yeah so they got a little intro from you in that episode but can you well maybe we should start here it's interesting how you had that response to talking about some the spiritual depth of life Mm. and religion yes when as human beings we're absolutely desperate to talk about depth totally and Mm -hmm. meaning i mean you're you're holding a baby in your arms like how does what Mm -hmm. 13.8 billion years ago there was a big bang (laughs) it started with particles and particles bonded with other particles and that formed atoms what right you think about the history of humanity the the depth of life Mm -hmm. and if you if you take religion or spirituality and you simply substitute the word depth Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. more going on here is a baby just a baby or does a baby mean something more? Does your love for your husband just that or does it mean... Is it chemicals? Does it just open happening? you up? Is it yeah. just chemicals? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were to say to somebody, oh, this entire experience you're having is simply a particular series of reactions you're having in your brain. It's brain chemistry and biology. What's interesting is pretty much every piece of art ever is not about a reduced, flat, one-dimensional view of life. It's about this sense of the hunt discovery, spirit, Mm. there's something more going on here. So what's really interesting to me when you say that is, how did we end up in a modern world where talking about the depth of life would be controversial or strange? Um, You talk about something falling way out, going way off the rails, Mm -hmm. um, when this wouldn't be just the most obvious, natural thing ever. So in some senses, maybe that's how I should introduce myself. As I set out 25 years ago to talk about the spiritual life, in language and forms that we could access that weren't strange or odd or somehow something like, wait, what are you talking about? And just how do you forgive people who have hurt you? Mm. Um, How do you live with some sense of hope? Um, What does a political arrangement look like for neighborhoods, families, countries in which it's not built upon division and polarization, but upon our shared common good? Uh, So that's what I do. How's that? Small undertaking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's funny because even in one of the first things that you said, already people are getting mad listening. You know, Mm -hmm. you're talking, you know, this is the way I was taught growing up. You know, you immediately say the billion years thing, and Mm -hmm. my little, my little, my little, Mm -hmm. like nine year old brain radar is like, red flag, do not trust this person. Oh, Oh, because for you, Science and spirituality got separated. A hundred percent. Oh, got it. It got was it. like I was taught, like, don't trust the scientists. Mm-hmm. Like they're, oh, they're against, yeah. they're against God. 
and and yeah you think of how destructive to take the wonder and awe and joy of all that we're discovering about this world and somehow put that on one side and then put love joy peace reconciliation on the other side so you can see why some of these these binaries that people were handed simply don't work at some level they just fundamentally fail and make everybody miserable Right. So one of the things we need more than ever is uh, reclaiming. The center of my work is simply reclaiming that everything is spiritual. Hmm. So you're running a business, you're raising a kid, you're hosting a podcast, mm-hmm. you're working for more environmental s- sustainability. Whatever it is that you're doing has a has a depth to it, has a dimension, a density to it. And when you say that, it feels so simple. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah like, yeah, duh. Of course, having a kid is <laughs> like deeper, you know. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, and we feel you feel it, and I I've always like felt that sense of spirituality just like radiating through Absolutely. my body. But what our biggest struggle has been because we were raised in a very conservative Christian environment. Yeah, um, I was also science was just kind of a no no. Like mm. di- dinosaurs, don't talk about those. Like it was just one of <laughs> no, those. No, really, dynamics. yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Got it. I would feel very stressed and confused that here I am listening every weekend uh, at my church talking about things with such breadth and yet I can't align them with my school. And why doesn't this all work together? And right. why can't right. I ask right. questions? Right. I'm, I'm right. a curious cat and I want to ask questions, Absolutely. but it just didn't feel like it was ever allowed. Now, again, we're speaking from the perspective of our particular homes. Yes. Um, I know a lot of our listeners have been raised in more open environments, but for us, questions just weren't welcomed um or certain questions you know certain questions are okay and others aren't like you don't you don't question whether or not god even exists like that's a thing of like Mm -hmm. are you doubting like do you not have enough faith yeah and that's something that i've been at odds with in my adult life is like am i just supposed to like I don't know. My experience with my parents is, is when you, if you ask them, like, is the Bible true? And then they're like, yes, a hundred percent it's true. And a hundred percent, I know God exists. And I always get in discussions and verging on, um, arguments with my parents of like, well, how can you know that this is who God is? How do you know? And it's just difficult. And yet if you go back through those same texts, like you think about the Psalms, Psalm 13, that begins like, why do you hide your face from me? Mm. So this is an ancient prayer mm-hmm. saying of doubt and struggle. Or you think about Abraham who argues with God, Moses who argues with God. In the Jewish consciousness, the arguing, the doubting, the angst, and the struggle are all central to a spiritual vision for life. Or you think about Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the day that God becomes an atheist. Yeah. So actual spirituality, a spiritual vision for life, is to embrace the full spectrum of the human experience. So you think about those Jesus gospel stories, the gospel of Matthew at the very end, after Jesus' resurrection, we can talk about that, Mm -hmm. it says that he goes to a mountain to meet with his disciples, and it says some of them worshipped him and some of them doubted him. Hmm. Well, what's interesting is that's crap propaganda, like if you're trying to sell, right. if you're trying yeah. to sell everybody, hey, this is Jesus, the like, Messiah, the Savior, half of them did, whatever everybody half of them says. Didn't. What's really interesting is the gospel writer there, and once again, a, a writer of a scripture of a story has lots of material to work with. Yeah, they can like yeah. include or or leave out whatever they want. They can they can leave out the doubting part. So right. what's Their really choice. interesting is what 
this writer wants you, the gospel writer of Matthew wants you to know is, oh yeah, at the very end, post whatever that thing was where he was dead or not or whatever, Mm -hmm. just want you to know the people closest to him, a number of them were like, "Eh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's like a technical word. (laughs) (laughs) So what's interesting about this tradition is it's always had as its center, there's this myriad of human responses to life. From joy, euphoria, to gratitude, to mm-hmm. anger, rage, doubt, um, and that your arguing, your angst, your dark night of the soul are to be embraced. They're all part of it. Mm-hmm. It's not like the divine is over here and then there's your actual experience. It was always the assumption that all of it is sacred mm. at some level. Well, let's get into that. It's so free. It is. Because then you, could just, you can just be a human. Yeah, I always wonder why, why is it that at least uh, uh, large parts of the evangelical church can run away from the dark night of the soul? Because we talk a little Enneagram here and I'm a four. So I like love to sit in my dark melancholy. <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes yeah. I've struggled going, why yeah. can't we sit and think about this? Because this is so tangible and real. And I always you wonder... Can. Or like you music can. and movies. Like, you know, I was not, I, you, up until I moved out, we didn't really watch PG-13 movies that had like sex or swearing or violence. Mm-hmm. And a lot has changed since I moved out of my parents' home. And a lot has <laughs> changed with them um, yeah. for sure. But, you know, I like, I just remember being young and the music that resonated with me. Like, yeah, there was some good Christian rock that I loved, but then there was like, I would never usually cry listening to a Christian song, but like there's a song on every single one of Kanye West's albums that mm-hmm. will make me, that will bring absolutely. me to tears. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and absolutely. It's this, uh, I don't know, this rawness of expression that resonates. Um, that's, I don't know, that darkness, that, that grunginess. Absolutely. Well, you think about like in the four hundreds, a theologian named Augustine came up with something called original sin, which said that you are at your deepest self, Something's off, wrong, Hmm. bad, sinful, which is really interesting because the Bible begins with a poem. Genesis is one is a poem. And in the poem, the first word about humans, because some truths are so beautiful, you have to use poetry. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Um, The first line about humans is that we bear like a divine image or divine spark. So that which is deepest within us is good. But you can see what happened in the 400s. Also, by the way, the same Augustine, you had original sin, that which was deepest within you is bad, was also the same person who came up with something called just war theory, was here's what, when uh. it's okay to kill people. And this is the same time at which the empire, the Roman empire, essentially hijacked the Jesus faith. So the Christian faith was always a subversion of empire. It was the original right. rage against the machine. Right. <laughs> yeah. So... You can see what happened when people bought in, and and it's much harder to control people politically if they believe that they are fundamentally bad. If people believe that goodness resides in the masses, they're Mm. much harder to control politically. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you can see where some of these seeds got planted and are alive and well today. So if you begin with human beings are first and foremost off, wrong, sinful, etc., then what you have to do is go around labeling things, God, not God, uh, blessed, sacred, not sacred. So you have to do it to music. You have to do it to movies. You have to do it to spaces. Secular. Mm-hmm. Secular. Yeah. Oh, oh, so you think breaks. about sacred, secular. 
are categories invented when you have a fundamentally flawed view of creation. Hmm. But the actual texts of the Bible, if you actually read them, what they begin with is the whole thing is a temple. All earth is sacred. Making art, singing songs is a good thing to be doing for human beings. It's a holy, sacred thing. Okay. So, so what it did is it bent over backwards, making all these divisions. And then somebody like you came along and went, actually, a bunch of the stuff that says it's Christian really sucks. <laughs> yeah. And a number of these other things that nobody would call Christian, like radiate with truth yeah. and integrity. Mm, absolutely. And like a bass note, something within me resonates. Mm. So these categories... Not only do they not work, but they aren't actually true to the tradition. Mm-hmm. They're relatively recent inventions. So that's why something within you goes, wait, 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 I was handed a thing that isn't actually true. Right. It's because you were. Right. And you can leave it behind. <laughs> Is that good news? Yeah. That's great news. <laughs> oh, you have like gosh. nine questions, I can tell. Yeah, no, I was just, <laughs> man. I, this, these are just like such big questions where I'm like, well, what about... <sighs> How do we distinguish what's good? I mean, I believe there are things that are good and things that are bad and things that are good and things that are evil. Absolutely. And and how do we distinguish the things that are, is that just a feeling between the things that are evil and the things that are not? Or do we look to the Bible to distinguish between those two? Well, actually, there's this really interesting rabbinic saying. It says in the Genesis poem, one of the first things the divine does is separate dark and light. Hmm. And the rest of sacred history is human beings learning how to separate dark and light. Yeah. So, so there are certain things that you want to hand your daughter. You, you'll want your daughter to develop daughters. You want mm-hmm. them to develop a moral compass. Yeah, absolutely. There's a sense of, of right and wrong. You'll want them to develop a sense of this is a better path than that path. You'll also be doing this interesting thing where you'll be teaching your kid, hey, this is more life-giving. This is better for the common good. You'll also be teaching your kid, oh, and by the way, if you make a complete mess of it and you hurt somebody and everything falls apart, mm. there's grace and you can make amends. Yeah. So you'll, you'll both be teaching them right and wrong, and then you'll be teaching them a grace and a love that undergirds even that. Mm-hmm. If you do the wrong thing, we still love you. Yeah. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah. So there's all these things you'll intuitively do as a parent that probably teach you more than anything about what it means to grow up yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's when I started to have somewhat of my crisis, is that for a long time I was able to, in the back of my brain, I was going, this just doesn't feel right. I know for me personally, um, being raised in the church, I and then continuing ministry in the church for numerous years of my adult life, I found so much goodness in it. But at the same time, I was just fighting like tooth and nail because I just, I I, I couldn't settle within me because I didn't have that confidence that certain people at least around me displayed. That was this, I know for a fact, I know that I'm, I know I'm going to heaven. This is a, B and C that's correct, whatever. And I just, I'd lay in bed at night and like stare at the wall and be like, what if I go to the, the throne room and he doesn't know. I, I would just, it was just the anxiety was just yeah. wretched and I couldn't. <laughs> yeah. And I tried for years. I'm like, I want to be this Christian, but there's this connection that's lost with me 
And um, so now I, I was left kind of, what am I supposed to do? And then the crisis really started when I found out I was pregnant because of the idea of what am I going to tell my daughter? Yeah. yeah. What can I look in her eyes and say that I know confidently because I don't feel like I know confidently. And, and my big question would be, you know, when you are looking at like the, the landscape of your life, is it okay to not know anything ever <laughs> a oh, yeah, certain level of just the constant like i, I sure don't oh, know yeah, there's, an, there's an old zen saying first the river's a river and a mountain's a mountain and then the river's no longer a river and the mountain's no longer a mountain and then later the river's a river again and the mountain's a mountain again mm-hmm. so so throughout your life you're constantly moving through these cycles where you think about language and the naming of things a word meant something and then you find yourself realizing, what does that word even mean anymore? So mm-hmm. think of all the words that people grew up with, like, this is what this word means. Uh, prayer, truth. I mean, get on the list. Tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, and then you take it all apart. You deconstruct it because you're like, I have no idea. What's truth anymore? What are the... right. And then later on, you begin to pick it up down the road with a new understanding um, and new stages of maturity and consciousness always bring with them greater complexity. You're able to handle complexities. You can greater freedom. Things that used to be like, you can never do that. Oh, apparently we can do that. <laughs> and greater inclusion. Something that before had to be kept at a distance can be embraced. So there are markers for what happens when you grow, what happens when you mature. What do you think is happening when people go the opposite route? Because you see people when they get into their, they get older and they become more... Yeah grounded in the same thing that they always right, believe right, in. Right. They tighten mm-hmm. and tighten and tighten. What's yeah, the happening grip. there? The- well, you think about in all moments of disruption, pain, or loss, there is an invitation present in those moments. So you think about somebody that you know who maybe somebody they love died and you see them a year later. You may see that friend and they become like their heart has gotten so open. Mm-hmm. There's like a tenderness. Mm-hmm. And you see them now, maybe a couple years later, when somebody near them loses a loved one, they go sit with them. Me too. I know what it's like. Yeah. yeah. Or there's a chance you'll run to that person a year later and they're smaller, more brittle. <sighs> they haven't left so the house. True. Mm-hmm. So uh, you think about America on 9-11. We suffer this horrific tragedy. Terrorists killed two, 3,000 Americans. Yeah. Some Americans' response is, wait, why do these people not like us? What have we done? Do we have illegal black prisons around the world? Have we built um, military bases on other religions' holy sites? And they said, could you not build military bases? Is there something about the way the U.S. In the world, is in the world that provokes other nations? So after 9-11, a number of Americans were asking much more penetrating questions mm-hmm. about the American empire. We dropped... Uh, 21,172 bombs a few years ago. Is that okay? We have 800 military bases. Is that okay? You also, after 9-11, saw another response, which was, these colors don't run. Um, We're going to put a boot in your ass. Mm -hmm. Turn up the Toby Keith. We're now going to put giant flags on at halftime. Like, just double down on, and -and so-and-so's not a patriot. And I don't even know if so-and-so's an American. So you can see the, the personal is always the political in times of trauma, loss, pain, betrayal, oftentimes there's an invitation to let it break you open and all sorts of light shines through oh, in new man. ways and That's you become so like more limber, 
That's a friend so of mine's true. a physical therapist, and he was doing work in India. And he said in India, and he was going to these villages, he says the most limber, flexible person in the village is always the oldest person. And the youngest sometimes too. Yes, exactly. So because there's something about true maturity is becoming not childish, but childlike. Yes. Mm-hmm. You return to the wonder and awe. The so curiosity I would say in answer to your openness. question, every one of us in the traumas and the challenges of life, you begin to see them as like, okay, this is painful. I didn't see this coming. I wouldn't wish this upon my worst enemy. What new thing is lurking in this you let it break you you let it shape you or it's like you dig in your heels you resist it Mm -hmm. you become more brittle um and it's more painful going back to your parents bible which i like saying (laughs) think about the this genesis poem begins with spirit says the spirit of god is hovering over the waters and the waters are it's formless and void well in jewish consciousness waters uh, was a symbol of like the unknown, darkness, shapeless, formlessness, the questions, mm. um, the chaos, that which is lurking in the unknown. And the way the poem begins is spirit hovers over that mm-hmm. and then enters into it. And out of that comes all of this massive diversity, plants, trees, animals, kids, people. So in some ways that's the image of the whole thing is you're learning how Whatever you're in the midst of and you're like, we can't pay the bills, this, what, whatever mm-hmm. formless void dark you're in, whatever turbulence are unknown, it's like you're learning to see, oh, where is spirit? What new thing is going to be created out of even this? Yeah, absolutely. Because mm-hmm. when you go to that website, think about that website of the, the humanitarian organization or the group that's funding cancer research or whatever, and you go to the website, there's the always there's always the about section that tells the story. It's always somebody who says, I lost this person to cancer. Right, I went through this right. horrible thing and out of it decided to start mm-hmm. this thing. It's always what inspires us most. Yeah. We, that's why we read memoirs is we actually want to hear how horrible it was. Absolutely. Oh, and yeah. then out of it, they made that album. They made that movie. They designed right. that thing. And we go, because oh. it gives us hope. Yeah. They somehow tuned in to whatever spirit was mm-hmm. hovering over those waters. Yeah. And that's how creation, these new creation energies are unleashed. Well, and sometimes even the yeah. stories that end badly are the ones that you f- feel because I don't know, you, I remember, um, we lost my grandfather very tragically and he was really young, but I remember my mom crying and I had never seen her like this before. And she was saying, I'm never going to see your grandpa again. And I was like, yeah, I was trying to comfort her. I was like, yeah, mom, you're going to see him like in heaven. Like, this is what you say. Like, come on, mom. And she's like, (laughs) no, but I'm never going to like, she's like, yeah, but no, like, I'm never going to like, I'm not going to see him again. And I remember her saying that and I knew what she meant. She wasn't talking about like, I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in God anymore. She yeah. wasn't saying any of that. She was just like, she was just in that depth of grief where she, right. it was mm-hmm. kind of like a fuck you to everything. Yeah, exactly. And when she was open about that, I still remember it because I was like, oh, this is my mom. This is who she is as a it's person. Real. And yeah. it gave me more respect for her because I saw her. I saw that depth of her, yes. mm-hmm. that depth yes. that you're talking about. And Absolutely. it was real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Which goes back to what you mentioned about the communities that you grew up in. Anytime you see 
trying to think of like a language here. Anytime you see what feels like almost an overattachment to certainty yeah. and absolutes, it's probably because of some wound. There's probably something mm-hmm. or anytime there's a list of things we can't talk about. Absolutely. Things we can talk about, things we can't. Anytime there's two columns, mm-hmm. what can be talked about, what can't. What can't be talked about will always become a shadow and an underbelly that will haunt. It'll haunt the family. It'll haunt the town. It'll haunt the nation. It'll haunt the church. Right. Um, that list of things that can't be talked about will animate and guide that thing yeah. in all sorts of ways. A friend of mine was on a, as a philosopher, he was being interviewed and the interviewer had written 10 books on uh, what's called apologetics, like proving sure. the faith. Whatever oh, yeah, that is. I studied it all oh, the yeah. time. Okay, so a friend of mine, he's brilliant. <laughs> His name is Peter Rollins. He's this fantastic okay, yeah. philosopher. He's being interviewed, and the guy, and he's talking about the importance of doubt as central to the life of faith. And this interviewer is like, are you saying that it's okay to doubt? And Peter, Pete says to him, I'm saying that you're full of it. <laughs> You would not write 10 books trying to prove the faith <laughs> unless you were racked with doubt with your and, own doubt. and right, questions. Right, if you're, you're up all night. It's like that yeah. guy on Instagram who keeps posting about how hot his girlfriend is. At some point, you're like, are you trying to convince... Yourself? Me exactly. or yourself. So, so I, I, over the years, I've noticed again and again people, communities, that it almost feels like they're clinging too tightly. Mm. Um, and they begin get scared to realize, when, when anybody, chat, yeah. it's like, whoa. And right. when you scratch the surface and what appeared to be so strong and confident and sure and absolute, mm-hmm. you scratch the surface and you discover all of that was constructed out of tremendous fear, wounds and pain. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, when you're talking about those two columns, I like, I know for me, I'm wired in the way it's like the column you don't talk about. I want to like dive in and oh, yank all that is. out. That's where the, ju- and yeah. then I'm seeing that's what our podcast is. Right. About. And that's when you're yanking Absolutely. it out. And, and, Absolutely. and the, the irony is that I'm like, let's talk about this. Cause I want to, I want to understand it. But when then the response from some of the people from my family or from the community that I was once raised in, the response is very much like they get upset. And I always wonder, am I that big of a deal that like my question is going to mess up your ideal right. so if much? If I can destabilize this with a podcast, yeah, you're making me nervous. it's yeah. a little more rickety than it presents itself. Yeah. yeah and that should tell you all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. It actually can help you have compassion. Yeah. Um, we construct these forms to protect us because life is terrifying. Mm. We, the, these communities, these doctrines, there's lots of things that human beings construct that are very helpful and healthy and we need them. You'll give your daughters all sorts of structure because that's at different stages. We go to bed at a certain time so mm-hmm. that we can thrive. Like there'll mm-hmm. be all sorts of structures and rules that you create, ideally because you want them to thrive. But there are also times when we construct giant edifices and scaffolding and we, we buttress things because we're terrified. We're you just mean spinning terrified. around on this giant ball is terrifying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so in some senses it gives you compassion. Like, yeah. and, and also, especially for the two of you, for a while that worked. Mm-hmm. Those rules, those codes, it worked. So part of the healing, um, this worked for a while, and then it didn't. Mm-hmm. Even I for think, your listeners to just, because oftentimes I meet people 
By the way, any Q&A I do anywhere in the world, somebody asks a question about, I grew up in this tribe, I can't be a part of it anymore. Mm -hmm. They believe all these crazy things. Um, but oftentimes in the question I pick up, there's a, there's a grief, like a mourning. A hundred percent. Um, my tribe can't come with me. Mm-hmm. My family thinks I'm crazy. They go all Fox news on me at Thanksgiving. I can only stay. <laughs> yeah. Um, for, and, and part of it is just interesting enough. What happened is you were the one who was true to the tradition because the tradition is listening to spirit and then following where it takes you. Mm-hmm. It's going where the new life takes you. This mm-hmm. is where it took me. Um, and I can't go backwards. So the healing comes from, yeah, at one point that worked and now it doesn't. So I kept going. Yeah. That's, that's how it works. Mm. And maybe I feel like I have more questions than I used to. And yeah, okay, fine. Well, so think, it works. I think there's a big part too, where you're like, I want to get back to that because what I expressed on our last podcast when we talked about God is I felt I, I've had such a hard time as an adult because um, walking away from the way that I was brought up or in thinking the same ways that I was taught to think, I felt like I was walking away from home and that I was somehow yes. betraying my parents Yes, and that I, I imagined what my mother must feel to see that I am not how she wanted me to be. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's just a thing that you deal with when you have parents and when you have children is letting go of those expectations, even mm-hmm. outside of religion, Abs- of course. Absolutely. Um, but I felt like with religion, especially because my home was so centered around this view yeah. of God, this yeah. view of what it means to serve God, and me, um, in a sense, rejecting that was has been really painful for everyone involved. But but yeah. for me to feel like it's a like I'm betraying something, and I think right, knowing right, then right. from the perspective of our families, where then I know like my heart will ache. Is it's like I know when I look at my daughter how much I love her, and then I know that when my exactly. parents look at me, they think because I don't have a certain perspective on things that I'm going to hell, and how difficult is that for them? Or that we won't, we will never know God's love the way that right. they do, and, and so and how that painful ache. that must be for them mm-hmm. on for us. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But imagine mm-hmm. if imagine if they'd said because I always go back to wait if the Bible is central to what you, the world you're describing. What if they'd said, oh, by the way. The Abraham story, which is sort of the beginning story, Abraham leaves his father's household. Mm-hmm. And oh, Moses has to leave. And oh, yeah, the fundamental conflict for Jesus that runs all the way through the whole thing is with his family. And one of the dominant questions of the New Testament is, who is my family? And the letters generally begin to all the brothers and sisters. Mm. What, as imagine if you had been taught, here's the thing, you're, you might have to leave home. And oh, by the way, the hero's journey always involves leaving home Mm because you'll have to become your own person. And that may involve some level of leaving home. And we get that. Mm -hmm. This may work for you. It may not. You may have to go on your own search, your own discovery to make it your own. You may have to drop a bunch of things and set them down by the side of the road in order to be true, in order to make sure that this is you and not just... Imagine if you've been taught that. (laughs) Imagine if the tribe said... This will always be your home, but we understand you might have to go out into the woods for a while. Mm. It was very freeing. Can you imagine I'd, like... I'd be kicking down doors right how, now. Yeah, I can imagine how, what that does. Like with, uh, we have three kids. We have a 20-year-old boy and a boy who just turned 19 yesterday. And then we took a nine-year break and then we have a the girl mm. who just turned 10. Oh my gosh, I know. big gap. My other son's about to turn 21. It's the best ever. <laughs> but just like you guys go follow your thing. Mm -hmm. When my uh, 
son was 14 or 15, he started playing in bands. He started organizing his own uh, DIY tours of the country at 16. Wow. The, the younger son. So, like, just go. Mm-hmm. Go drive around the country at 16, figure it out. Like, go, you'll have, yeah, go be your own person. Mm. That's how it works. That is yeah. so hard as a parent. I'm <laughs> yeah. even thinking about it but now, and I'm like, want, no, don't but go you, But you actually want Ruth, you want her to be the full Ruthness. Mm-hmm. You, you, you want full Ruthness. So if you begin with, so she'll have to be her own person. And what's your daughter's name? Ember. Ember? Mm-hmm. Ooh. E-M-B-E-R. Yeah. Oh, strong. Thank you. <laughs> Ruth and Ember. I love Thank it. You. Um, you'll, you'll hold it, though, in a particular... You'll understand your own path, mm. and you'll hold it in a particular way. And you may even be so free and open-handed that your kid is like, I actually kind of like hanging around you. Oh. Yeah. That would be... Well, I yeah. know my daughter. I'm, she's going to do whatever she's going to do. She already told me she was a Buddhist the other day. And oh, she's three. she said she said we are all nothing, and Jess said what? And she goes, "I'm a Buddhist." She well, caught you, me watching a documentary, and apparently, think about how many parents seize up the second their kid goes exploring. Yeah, and then you think, "Oh wait, you, your kid just told you this thing, mm-hmm. and you got all awkward." What you're doing is running the risk that your kid isn't going to tell you the next thing, mm. as yep. opposed to being unrattleable. But if you're just like, oh, interesting, where'd you read that? Hmm. We're all nothing. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. What about this strikes a chord with you? Hmm. Join them in their search. Hmm. All of a sudden, it's a very different dynamic, and it's so much more fun. And there's so much less guilt. You know, I, it's funny because I was always taught in the church not to be guilty. You know, like shame and guilt are not from God. And then the minute that I started to explore my own things, it, I felt nothing but guilt. Right. Um, right. And it's such a painful and comfortable way to live. (laughs) And I'm also like, at the same time, I'm like, but how do I not feel guilty from departing from, I don't even know what I'm departing from or what I'm like. It it can be so confusing because Mm -hmm. sometimes there's this dichotomy of it's like either life with God, which comes with so many other strings attached of what we're taught life with God is like. And Mm -hmm. then there's life without God and there's no, there's nothing else. There's, this is the way life looks like with God. And this is what your life looks like without God. And and then when people like my certain family members or friends might be like, Oh, Becca's without God. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I don't feel like I'm without God. Mm -hmm. Isn't the whole thing that you're never without the divine, like, (laughs) or you think about Jesus has asked questions nonstop all throughout the Gospels, once, maybe twice, he answers. Otherwise, every single response, he responds with a question. So how do you read it? How do you interpret it? Who do you think the man's neighbor was? What he does again and again and again is very rabbinic, very first century Jewish, but Mm -hmm. he responds to questions with questions. It's as if again and again and again, it says, you're going to have to own this at some level. Imagine if you'd been taught that in high school. Oh, yeah, questions are how the whole thing works. And notice that Jesus responds to questions with questions. And his questions are basically, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. How do you interpret it? You're going to have to own it. So join me together. Let's explore. Frames, reframes the whole thing. <laughs> Why do you think people react so violently to that? Because even, I mean, you've seen the, the responses for your own work. People get so angry, yeah. so 
So it's it's not just surface level. It's a deep That's deep anger. It's it terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. Well, you think about uh, think about brain evolution, brain development. You have the stem, the earlier part of your brain, the lower like reptilian lizard brain, which kept us alive. It's mm-hmm. the part of your brain that does that threat assessment. Is there a lion in the bushes or not? Um, and so this this early brain stem is how we're still here, and it, you're still using it. You know when you're safe, not safe. You know when you're driving too fast you know when there's Mm -hmm. risk like Mm -hmm. it's still constantly scanning constantly and then later the brain develops like the frontal cortex the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes Mm -hmm. compassion um but essentially these two parts of the brain don't fire at the same time so interesting you think about how when a lot of people the the world's in some ways that you're describing it's said that it was faith and truth and spirit, but in some ways it was that early reptile brain, threat assessment, heaven, mm-hmm. hell, enemy, error. Um, some of that comes from a very early brain state. It comes from a place of great fear, terror, protection. So no wonder it's hard to see your enemy as your neighbor, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's almost like physiologically the whole system is still, is it the liberals? Is it the who, whoever, the UN? Is it the Paris? Like, who, who is it? Um, and it's really, really good at threat assessment. Really, really good. So when you come in and say, we should ask questions about who our enemies are because maybe we helped create them. And maybe these binaries <laughs> don't work anymore. Um, that's, it's terrifying. And we think we're having an intellectual back and forth you know what I mean? Yeah. We think we're having a very logical discussion, but who knows if the person on the other side of the discussion, you're threatening their very core sense of safety, security. Mm. Um, you think about a politician preying on people's fears. You aren't safe. Those people south of the border are coming for you. They're coming for your jobs. They're coming for your kids. I mean, if you could ex- imagine, you could exploit that reptilian brain that's firing. And if you could say to people, I'll protect you, you could get people to vote in all kinds uh, of crazy <laughs> ways. You could, you, could, you could do massive amounts of fundraising. Yeah. You could build an even bigger building. We just need to get people to come in to our... Like you think about yeah. all that's done to exploit that primal... It's like a primal fear. Yeah. Yeah, so sometimes... People are trying to have discussions. Even right now, the much better discussion is, like you think about America right now, mm-hmm. why did tens of millions of people in 2016 think that man was the answer? Like, how much, how desperate are you? Mm-hmm. How much has the system failed you? How much do you not feel heard? Yeah, um, absolutely. I would say, like, dear, dear every Democrat everywhere, unless you get really curious about what was that man able... Now, obviously, there's misogyny and racism and a bunch of horrible things in there, but... Of course, but... Somehow that man heard something, some resentment, some sense of being left out, some sense like the, the government doesn't care. Desperation for mm-hmm. representation. And he spoke to it. Obviously... It's just cringeworthy, crude, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, 
underneath it all, if you just everything is spiritual. Yeah, he hit the cord. He heard something, and I would argue exploited it horrifically. Nevertheless, mm-hmm. heard something that the New York Times missed, and NBC missed, and Huffington Post missed, <laughs> and all the smart people in all the cool cities on election night didn't see that. So I would think there's a curiosity And, and maybe there. we don't see those, see the, the yeah. demographic that voted for it. Maybe we are absolutely. not seeing that. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So there is something about the modern world that is leaving tens of millions of people out, feeling completely left out and left behind. Or you think about when somebody in an office, when somebody in an office in San Francisco says, we're going to have driverless trucks within whatever, five years. What are there, like two and a half million truck drivers in the country? Like, do people in San Francisco get to decide, like, where the world goes? You know what I mean? Like, right. do, do, do millions of people get a say or do smart people with lots of money in offices somewhere decide to, this entire uh, train, like, work, this trade, this it's craft? Just out the window. Just done. Figure it out. Leave it to the people mm, with um, degrees, you know? Leave, yeah, exactly. Leave it, leave so, it to us, us smart so to people. To me, what's much more interesting is. What are these, what is it about this system right now as it's set up and how we've arranged ourselves that is making this many people feel left out? And that's the much more interesting question. Mm. Yeah. Well, speaking of the system, (laughs) (laughs) and then I want to, I want to talk about Jesus. Oh, all right. Some questions, but before we have the system. Highlighted. (laughs) <laughs> printed out sheets. this is nerd Great. high school nerd <laughs> jess is very organized she's what keeps I, the lights on with yeah. uh with our podcast yeah. she's i got, got that one. in the emails <laughs> uh, right away i was like these chatty broads this chatty broad know what they're doing this chatty broad is full of love and anxiety <laughs> yeah well speaking to keep the lights on for a moment we need to tell you guys about zebit mm. zebit rhymes with credit not Really, that's a slant rhyme. Uh, it's but, just a way to help people remember, Becca. It's a slant it's a wet <laughs> rhyme. I took a poetry class in high school. You're um, fancy. Zebit is the better credit option. Zebit provides a better credit option that allows you to buy what you need and pay overtime interest-free, interest-free, through their marketplace. The Zebit marketplace has everything you need from everyday items and electronics to furniture and appliances, all from your favorite brands, all at competitive prices. Uh, Their marketplace is huge. I'm talking over 50,000 products, everything from Gucci watches. Yikes, scary want to buy uh to airpods to kids furniture we're currently transferring our daughter ember from a crib to a big girl bed and all that stuff is expensive mm-hmm. but ember was able to pick her princess bed so that she is the royalty she believes she is um it's gonna make the transition easy and it's all from zebit uh the marketplace has everything and we're able to pay for it gradually also with zebit there's zero cost to join zero membership fees and zero late fees and on top of all that it isn't determined by your credit score and doesn't impact your credit score at all and for those of us who are a little bit forgetful this is a true blessing so you can sign up for zebit today at zebit.com slash chatty and get twenty five hundred dollar <laughs> credit to the shop that zebit marketplace at zero interest and zero cost to join that's zebit.com slash chatty for twenty five hundred dollars of interest-free credit zebit.com slash chatty jess do you have questions about jesus I, I do have questions about Jesus. I have a lot of questions about Jesus. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Um, I want to just hear from your perspective. Yeah. Who is Jesus? Yeah. And God. 
Can we throw that one in too? And God. Because when we talk about God and we talk about Jesus, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. Or yes, I 100% believe in Jesus and believe in God. What does it mean to believe in Jesus or God? What are we talking about? Right, right, right. What are you talking about when you talk about Jesus Well, first Jesus off, for many God? people, the moment you talk about the word God, mm-hmm. uh, if you think about how like your conceptual furniture is arranged, for many people, God immediately becomes whether or not something separate from this exists and then does whatever that is intervene answer mm-hmm. prayer, show yeah. up from time to time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I would simply begin from a different starting place, which is there is this, which we all agree is happening. What we now know is that this particular universe that we know of exploded, what, 13 billion years ago and has been expanding. And that somewhere in 13 billion years in, humans show up and we are able to discuss this and write poems and have podcasts yeah. and talk about what it all means. But if you go just a little bit, like dinosaurs didn't have book clubs. <laughs> yeah. So uh, single cell heterotrophs didn't have podcasts. So the idea of meaning, angst, questions comes with consciousness, which is the ability to stand at a distance from your existence and actually ponder it, reflect upon it, ask questions about it. Mm-hmm. So I would just begin with this conversation that we're having is a relatively new phenomenon in the history of the universe. That's mind-blowing. Yeah. Are you with me on that? Yeah. So yeah. I would just begin, something is unfolding in the universe. So it begins with particles. Three minutes into the life of the universe, particles bond with other particles. That results in atoms. About 300,000 years into the history of the universe, atoms bond with other atoms, and that forms molecules. So what we know is what happens in the universe, which makes your bodies, my body, all of this possible, is that like bonds with like, particles with particles, atoms with atoms, molecules with molecules. And what that does is form something new. So there is some sort of inherent drive within the very nature of reality itself for like to bond with like, and that produces something new. The two of you get together, and here comes kids. Mm-hmm. So I begin with what is. What do you call that? Why is the universe increasing in complexity? It's more complex than it used to be. Why does it have a drive for unity? Um, so, so instead of whether or not some being exists somewhere, to mm-hmm. me the much more interesting question is what is this whole that we are a part of? And what is the nature of this life that just keeps unfolding year after year after year after year? And for thousands of years, people have had a name for this, the whole thing, and they've called it God. But like you think about Moses asks God and God says, I am, like being itself. Mm. So as opposed to a debate about whether or not God exists, to me, the much more interesting question is, what is the nature of the thing that we all agree does exist? Mm. And is it love? Is it darkness? Is it emptiness? Is compassion, grace fidelity, peacemaking, are these foreign attributes of the universe? Or when you love, are you doing something that's central to the whole thing? Is that why you want more of it and why we sing songs about all you need is love? So that's where Mm -hmm. I begin with the whole God discussion is what do you call this? Mm -hmm. And the word that people have used for this ultimate giant thing we're a part of for thousands of years is the word God. And that then becomes a very, very different discussion. 
So then how would we, can you know this God? Is it personal? Right. Is this a cold, dark universe that doesn't care? Or can you find your path? Can you participate? Can you actually be a part of it in some way? Which to me, once again, the questions, the wonder and the awe. Mm-hmm. See, for many people, God is, a, is more like a noun, a static thing. Mm-hmm. Often yes. a he or a she, <laughs> even a she, still just a thing, as opposed to a verb, as opposed to a process, as opposed to a becoming, as opposed to... This discussion is thoroughly enjoyable, but it's also the sense that, that we're, the three of us were dancing, mm-hmm. we're caught up in something. We have a... <gasps> so if you freeze it at any point, you miss out on the fact that it's a living, dynamic thing. Yeah. So that's the problem intuitively for a lot of people is whenever it gets frozen, these nine truths, these 11 doctrines, these four Bible verses, something within you, it's like if you pin down the butterfly mm-hmm. so that you can study its wings with all the detail, the moment at which you've pinned down the butterfly is the moment at which the butterfly can't fly. So the really tricky thing about talking about God is the moment it all gets frozen and codified and made into a list. Mm-hmm. At that point, are you actually missing the life, the becoming, the mm-hmm. movement, the energy that actually is what we're talking about when we talk about God? So then is so there's the a Bible, really long answer. No, but it, this is, yes, so good, so good. <laughs> so is the Bible kind of like a pinned-down butterfly in a sense, or is it... Does it have movement to it? It could be if you held it. depends on how you hold it. Mm-hmm. If you hold it as like a frozen, pinned-down butterfly, but if you go, wait, wait, wait. First off, it's mostly stories and poetry. And the stories are about this person went here. They had this. Think about how many of the big moments in the Bible people are in altered states. Peter has a trance. Ezekiel has a vision. Jacob mm-hmm. has a dream. Ruth is told, go there. Think mm-hmm. about how many places in the Bible are stories of people having experiences that don't fit their current categories and labels. And so they get disrupted and they have to go journey, hunt, search, follow. Become king. Become, mm-hmm. like Absolutely. So you even think about the stories. It's their particularity. It's their flesh and blood. It's the history of them that is the juice it's the fact these people were trying to figure out how to be a more expansive community. Well, we're still trying to figure that out. So what happens with this dangerous collection of stories and poems is when it does get frozen, like, well, it says, wait, 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 who said it? Where did they say it? What were they struggling with? Mm-hmm. What were the issues of the day? What were they trying to figure out? And then even better questions about the Bible. Why did this story endure? Why did this story, um, you think about most of the Bible was written by a minority, was written by a minority group of people. And this minority Jewish group of people had been conquered by the Egyptians, the Persians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Romans. Um, They've been conquered by one military superpower after another. So they're highly tuned in to the misuse of power and violence. And what are they, stories they tell us, don't forget the widow, Mm. Don't forget the orphan. The alien. Don't forget the alien and the Mm. immigrant. 
So what happens is we happen to be living in a day and age when, if you think about the religious right, the for a lot of people, the Christian story got was is so deeply enmeshed with empire, mm-hmm. with the power structures that it's it's corroded what it actually is, which is a story about subversion of the powers. So a lot like you think about you grew up in Orange County. Yeah. You grew up in a particular socio-political religious climate in which the texts, those those stories had to be read through the lens of going to heaven someday when you die. Because if you read them as they're intended to be we read, feel real bad. <laughs> which is right now, yeah. and justice for the oppressed yeah. and help for the poor, well, that's... Uh, it's not so sexy in an well, Orange County position. Yes. Yeah. So when it says some trust in chariots, but we trust in God, we're the ones who trust in chariots. If you read it as a son or daughter of empire... And it's a book about resistance to empire. You either have to make the stories a moral code that gets you into heaven someday, or you're going to have to read it as a relentless critique of the system that you're a part of. And you could see why so many of those passages got turned into, oh, this is about heaven someday. Right. Because if you read them about this world right now, wait, we're we're the ones who need to change. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to change that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So then why do parts of the Bible exist or why have they... Uh, like you said, kind of survived the ages. Yeah. The parts that aren't so pretty, the parts that people use to, you know, um, oppress, uh, cond- oppress. Yeah, yeah, right. right. Condemn, condemn, condemn people's sexual right, choices. Right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Oppress right. women. You know, like right. well, I mean, there was. I think there was a passage that you. I was actually going to read it because I was. Uh, looking one of the one of my favorite quotes that you actually have <laughs> quoting you um, is that uh, God wants you're quoting the Bible here God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth first Timothy 2 so does God get what God wants and so I was looking at that passage and I am like yes yes but then a few verses later I saw in verse 11, I believe a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. Right, right, right. She must be quiet. But for Adam was formed first, then even Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But woman right, would be right, saved right, through right. childbearing. So You're I'm like, like what? score. We should, we, we <laughs> bore children. <laughs> but, but that is <laughs> yeah, right, right. where I grab, like, you know. It's and like then, a 2,000-year-old. You're like, seriously. Exactly. Okay. And so why has question. it survived and how do we, how right, do we right, view right, those right. texts? Well, first off, think about how slavery was pretty much the given for most of human history. For most of human history, most civilizations, some people owned other people. Mm-hmm. And then in a hundred-year window, 1770 to roughly 1870, in like a hundred-year window, pretty much every civilization on the face of the earth outlawed slavery. It's wild. Mm. So if you look at a long arc of history, there were things in the, in the air, in the water, that mm-hmm. were just how we do things that then in these little blips suddenly become like, wait, that's wrong, that's immoral, that's unjust. Mm-hmm. So like when you think about like the passage you read in First Timothy, I'm reading real people in real places at real times. So it shouldn't surprise me when they reflect on a regular basis 
real people in real places at real times. Mm. Now, the real thing, which is completely the, the most normal response is, why should we even bother reading stuff from a couple thousand years ago sure. when people were so yeah. back? How's that relevant? Mm-hmm. And then I say, when I grew up, people smoked on airplanes. Like people would light up next to you. <laughs> yeah. So, or in their cars with the windows rolled what, up with children. When I was a kid, it. I would mm-hmm. sit up on the gear shift box in between my parents and go down the road with no seatbelt. Uh-huh. So, people have been doing like if we're going to, I can't read anything from people who didn't see it the way I see sure. it. Then I've cut myself from all history, and then I also then the arrogance that somehow now we have it figured out. Mm-hmm. Like I just wonder in. 25 years, people are going to be like, they had industrial farming. They had farms with like 100,000 chickens. Right, just Tyson, is it, Was it? There's one f- food company. I, there's a chicken company. I think they slaughter 1.2 million chickens a day. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And I don't... So, so like, there's all sorts of fantastic stats, brutally fantastic stats about yeah. this is not really happening right now. So you go, there's a humility that's needed with Thank God we've come a long ways. Mm-hmm. That all, thank God we've come a long ways, but in the same breath you have to say, and we have a long ways to go with women, with, I mean, you go down the list of, of ways. Mm-hmm. So um, there's that sort of big answer I would give to a passage like that, which is, yeah, yeah, it reflects a bunch of things. Secondly, when he talks about uh, women and, and speaking up and all that, there is some stuff there in the original Greek about um, uh, like a violent taking over and that when he's saying I don't permit certain things, he's if, we, if you see the original language there, he's like mm-hmm. there's a bunch of things where people just take over and sort of bully their way through. I don't permit that. We read it in an English translation 2,000 years ago and are like apparently he has an issue with women. No, I think he has an issue with a particular thing that was happening in that setting at that time where he's mm-hmm. like – this is chaos. We have to put an end to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also go to a larger arc, like you think about the Gospel of Luke, where women paid Jesus' bills. Um, yeah, Luke Which chapter so 8, badass. it says Jesus traveled around with a group of women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, and they essentially they paid, they funded the thing. So huh. Luke wants you to know that there were these original women disciples mm. who were funding this revolutionary movement. So, and that would have been way ahead of the culture for its day. Right. So there's lots of things in the Bible where I go, yeah, yeah, that's really primitive. That's really backwards. That's really like oppressive to this group, this group, this group. Yeah. 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 And thank God we don't have to live that way. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just go then. Right. No, we, we don't see it that way. Right. I think um, you wrote a book a couple of years ago called What is the Bible? I did. And it's... Uh, <laughs> I was just about to ask. I was about to say, so what... So I haven't what read the book. The so I was about to say, so what is the Bible? <laughs> I Well, when I... when I Well, I listen to the book. I'm an audiobook person. Um, and it really blew my mind because I, again, raised in a very Christian uh, Christian background. We memorized all the Bible verses, knew all the things about the Bible. <laughs> and when I'm reading, <laughs> reading the stories, when you are talking about the actual history behind it, I'm going, what's this book? Because I don't know yeah. this book. Yeah. And there's so much depth and, uh, so much more background that I felt it was like some of these stories are dangerous Absolutely. without 
that Absolutely. these things being known. And when I was yeah. reading some of the, like the story, like uh, uh, one of the stories that you talk about Abraham and, and the sacrifice of, of Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I had no, I, my, my, my brain exploded. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want yeah, to, this t- is what happened to me. Yeah. Cause I started out as a pastor mm-hmm. cause I wanted to reclaim the sermon as an art form. Cause I'd been in a band and the band broke up, broke up. Mm. I was like a front man. So I was like, I was like looking for a gig. I had no plan. <laughs> really? And suddenly I, I stumbled into this. Oh, I think I'm going to be a pastor. And I stumbled into the sermon. I was like, this is an art form, mm. like a dangerous, subversive, poetic, beautiful art form. Somewhere between guerrilla theater and performance art and a recovery meeting. <laughs> uh, and stand up comedy. I, and stand up <laughs> exactly. comedy. I want, I'm going to reclaim this art form. And in the tradition that I came up from, the Bible was sort of the center of it. But after a while, it's like so many people have such a bad taste in their mouth about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had like, do I, should, I should just leave it. But then when I would like study it, be like, wait, people have no idea. This is so badass mm-hmm. and so subversive and dangerous. And actually, the people who talk the most about the Bible seem to know the least. Um, you think about the book of Revelation which is about a first century global military superpower, the Romans, who crushed everybody in their sight. And when you read it as coded political subversion, no wonder Americans say, what's, in the, what's going on in the book of Revelation? If you are the global military superpower, mm-hmm. you're going to miss what this book is about because wow. you're that. Sure. No wonder you have to make it about <laughs> what happens when you die. Because so it's it, not about the end of times, it's about the end of that time for that. Oh my, there was a phrase, there was a mark of the beast was a first century phrase. In order to buy and sell in the marketplace, you had to have the mark of the beast. And to have the mark of the mark, I've been in Ephesus to the altars where you would offer an altar, an offering to Caesar, the Roman emperor, and then you would receive a mark and then you could buy and sell in the marketplace. And Caesar, the official military propaganda was Caesar is the son of God sent to bring about our universal reign of peace and prosperity. The emperor Domitian had a choir that traveled around with him that saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive honor, glory, and power. So this was all the cult of the emperor. Mm. And so a lot of that early Jesus language was these first Christians brilliantly saying, how is Caesar the Lord of the earth? Because Caesar's Lord was on coins. Mm-hmm. Well, he's Lord because he crushes everybody in his path. So the Jesus story was about a Lord who doesn't destroy everybody with his army, but he offers himself in sacrificial love. So in some ways you could say the first century question, which is how do you make a better world through coercive military violence where you crush everybody in your path or through sacrificial love where you care for the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant among you? That's the origins of this story. So I came to this point of like I either – become a, I either just drop this cause I'm like, I either drop this, the Bible mm-hmm. and just be without a tradition, without a hair, just a spiritual guy. Hey, yeah. you can do it. <laughs> hey, forgive people. Right. Hey, peace and love. Um, and yeah, actually you see a lot of that on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of like buoyant spiritual empowerment coaching, but not rooted in anything. Right. It's kind of like, yeah, what is this? So it's, it's just a lot of really positive quotes. Um, but, but I just was like, no, this tradition, like you think about Celtic 
Christianity in the second century, 1800 years ago, at the center of Celtic spirituality was an honoring of the sacred feminine, mm. that, that God is a woman as well as God is a man, that the divine has the sacred feminine energy. And if you lose that, you'll end up with a broken masculine energy that just rapes and pillages. Or you think about yeah. Celtic spirituality in the second century, central to their vision, to their Christian vision of life was care for the earth. That if you don't have a proper relationship with the soil, which is central to the book of Leviticus. So what I kept discovering is a number of things that are considered like progressive, mm-hmm. sort of ahead of the curve issues are all in this tradition. Like 3,000 years ago, this is what they were talking right. about. Well, this was cutting. Yeah. So edge. I just decided I'll just double down on that mm-hmm. because there's a base note there. When you talk about this, you're talking about what people have been talking about for thousands of years. And it does something to us. So So, sometimes I realize maybe I'm like, it's like a, a, an anti-propaganda. I'm trying to help people. These texts that were so abused, mm -hmm. these stories that got so convoluted for many people, even the word Christian, some of this language is so, it means nothing anymore because Mm -hmm. it means everything. Yeah. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I either leave it all behind. It's extremely loaded and it also doesn't mean it. I leave, I either leave it all behind. I either forget it or... I try like that book, What is the Bible? I try and communicate it with such energy and passion that people go, wait, I was sold a bill of goods. <laughs> well, that's yeah. what it, that's, that yeah, yeah. was one of the things it felt like. And I know my husband and I, we were reading or listening to the book. And for me personally, I had kind of just been like, I just, I can't, I can't yeah. even look at this anymore. Right, right. I'm just fried. Totally normal. Totally and normal. After I uh, read What is the Bible and started thinking about it from that perspective, it just ignited an excitement to me again. Just like, no, this is why I love Jesus. This is why I love the Bible. And it's becoming, it has movement and it's exciting and radical and badass and all these things. And um, yeah, I think that's been kind of one of the journeys for Becca and I, where we're just, yeah, trying yeah, to place and, that feeling. And I have questions too, because I get, I get actually really annoyed with, not you, Jess, but when people are like, Me. well, I don't <laughs> consider myself a Christian anymore, but like, I, you know, I love Jesus. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, who are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. Like, who is Jesus to you? Who right. are you talking about? And like, what does that mean in the way you're living? Like, I'm not a man, I'm not a Christian, I'm, but you know, I love Jesus. And I'm like, Okay, like, and I don't like. I, I, I think maybe what you're getting at, there are cycles to language. So you think about language as naming systems. Mm-hmm. You you have to you name your world because it gives you an intimacy with it and, and, and navigate it. That's hot. That's cold. This is Ruth. Mm-hmm. That's Ember. But then, if that naming system begins to feed back on itself, like a microphone through an amp, like a word starts to mean lots of things. God, Christian, Jesus, Bible, uh-huh. then you have to add a bunch of things. But I mean Christian, but this kind of Christian. Yeah. Um, I think what you're witnessing in our culture is these words got so used and got used to talk about so many different things. And conflicting mm-hmm. that they began, ideologies. And, honest, and oftentimes the same word was used to describe two different realities. So at that point, yeah. the language has failed. So um, sometimes the answer is just set that language aside for a while. Like we just, that word doesn't mean what it used to mean. 
Um, so we just have to set it aside. It's kind of like how linguistics works. Absolutely. Yeah. Other times you then have to, if you're going to use the word, then you have to add a, a bunch of stuff to the word. So I think sometimes when people are like, I'm just not Christian, they're like, they're trying to navigate the weirdness of these terms and mm-hmm. this language. Yeah, and um, I, I remember having this conversation with my and parents it is recently. Just maddening. It's frustrating, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I'm like, yeah. I, I'm at the point where I where I would just rather do away with those terms. It's kind of hard to talk about things without using yeah. them. But at the yeah. same time, I'm like, I need something new to yeah. define God and Jesus for me because it doesn't right, right, mean right. what it used to anymore. Right. I, I will. I talk about going back to your question about who is Jesus. I talk about Jesus as a center. I talk about a nonviolent, compassionate, generous tradition that's thousands of years old that insists that we can participate in a new kind of world unfolding right here and now, and that will always involve some form of death and resurrection, some sort of the old passing away and the new coming. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. So there are ways I now, um, I have no problem with the word Christian. I also know that it means lots of things to lots of people. And in some senses, the word Christian has become a new identity to cling to, to divide the world up all over again, when it appears to me that Jesus came to rescue us from these endless divisions. Mm. So if the word refers to a fidelity and a grounding and centering in a Christ who is somehow alive and well, fantastic. I love the juice and mystery and flesh and blood of that. If the word means another way to divide ourselves and these people think they're better than these people, these, then I'm, that's not really what I'm talking about. So sometimes clarity Mm -hmm. helps. Uh Also, I love thinking about it in terms of history. Like we say, who is Jesus? Mm -hmm. There is this tradition of people for thousands of years, going back way before into a Jewish tradition that insisted that the earth is God's home and our home as well that there's more going on here. Mm. And a couple thousand years ago, there was this group of people who insisted that something had happened with a first century Jewish rabbi, that he, he spoke in some ways, in some unique way, he spoke to the deepest questions of the human story and insisted there was a better path for all of humanity, not of violence, but nonviolence, not of indifference, but compassion. And that there were people who organized their lives around this new way. And that it happened actually at a moment in history when the world was united under a brutal, vicious, violent military superpower. And he offered another way. And I would simply point out, we, we need a new way now more than ever. So when someone says, well, did he really rise from the dead? I would simply ask, feels to me like we need a new way now more than ever. Mm. So, you know what I mean? That yeah. to me, sometimes the, the, it's almost like this, the, the wooing of it is a more powerful gear. It works on me more. Like, wouldn't you love to be a part of a new way of understanding what it means to be human? That's actually really old. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? That, that sometimes other ways, like the, the convincing, you know, the world is a courtroom and you need to make your case. Uh, I think for many people, we're sort of weary Sometimes one telling gets a little bit weary and shift to shift gears. Yeah. Um, I think the poetry, you have people rediscovering the poetry of it. Mm-hmm. These images, a good shepherd, a son, a prodigal son who wanders away and is welcomed home, an older brother who has a problem with that. And he's told, every, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. <sighs> That's well, it, gold. Yeah, and there are issues <laughs> when you're looking at things literally. And I can even just think of like the book of Job as an example. And I remember... Yeah. 
I remember crying as a teenager. I remember, I think it was shortly after I moved out of my parents' home. I think I was in college. I remember crying one night because I it hit me what it would mean if the story of Job was, I remember thinking, what if that was my dad? What if my dad was Job? Oh, yeah. And what if God was testing my dad's alliance to him by killing Oof. all by Oof. killing Oof. all Oof. of his Oof. children by killing right. us and i remember right, crying right, right. and being like right. i don't understand and mm-hmm. and i was always taught that this is the, the god being like well let's see if job you know yeah, really right. trust me and another it's test horrible Adam. it's yeah, horrible right. you know what i think is going on there it begins the book of job begins with god and satan wagering uh-huh. placing a bet let's have horrible suffering comes job way and let's see how he responds yeah I actually think the author right there is winking and going, hey, hey, I'm kind of messing with you here. If you're looking for logical explanations of suffering, I'm going to give you the most absurd, ridiculous explanation God and Satan playing dice on... Just so you know that I am Quentin Tarantino, Wes Anderson, right, Paul Thomas? I I want you to know this story won't follow any of your conventional rules. And I'm going to throw the whole i'm gonna punk you from the get-go because it's written so differently as well it's genius subversive which is why that we take the bible literally fine you're gonna miss most of its truth then Mm. so i think the author right away is telling you hey 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 i'm after something else here then the three friends come and understand and explain his suffering and their explanations are rubbish (laughs) it's as if the point it's you're like i think the point of the book of job is get better friends yeah (laughs) Then a younger guy says, I've been listening to you older guys. You were supposed to bring village elder wisdom. You completely failed. Okay, I'm going to tell you, Job. And then his explanation is even worse. So by the end of chapter 37, you, the reader, are like, what is, this is not helping me with suffering. I'm not getting <laughs> any answers. Horrible. Then chapter 38, the God character shows up in rant poetry form, Eminem post-election. Mm. Totally. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without yeah. knowledge? Yeah. Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? When I stretched a measuring line across it while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Tell me, Job, for surely you understand. Have you ever walked in the recesses of the deep? Does the morning rise up and greet you? Do the Lightning bolts show up, Job, and say to you, here we are. Have you ever walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the valley of the shadow of gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the vast expanses of the earth? And God goes on for two chapters like this, and it just builds and builds and builds. Were you there when I brought the snow for times of war and stress? Who gives birth to the frost that covers the earth? Oh, and by the end of the end of those chapters, Job says at the end of God's rant, I spoke once, but I don't get it twice, but I will say no more. And I, I think actually what the writer's doing there is showing you this is a man, suffering exists in other categories than the intellect. Suffering is an experience. And there are no intellectual explanations for suffering. And I think at the end, it's a when, mystery, Job, says, the suffering when is a Job mystery. says, I spoke once, but I don't get it, what happens is there's the thing that you went through, the trauma, the loss, the pain. And then there is what that wonderful brain of yours did to try and understand it, which is actually sometimes the worst agony. There's the torture that you did to yourself (laughs) thinking that this experience could fit in nice, neat categories. And when Job says, I spoke once, but I'll speak twice, but I don't get it. 
it's somebody being released from that particular anguish of soul. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the, oh, that's the thing that's happening. So mm-hmm. I, would, I think the author is doing something really, really brilliant there. Yeah. They're saying certain experiences exist in other categories and you have to give them the space and the respect. Uh, like you think about the Jewish tradition when somebody near you dies, um, your friend's lover, partner, husband dies, you go to their house and sit Shiva with them. Mm. So you just go sit in silence. That's how you honor this loss. You just go to the house and you sit with them. You don't say a word. If they want to talk, fine. Right. Um, like a, they have whole rituals built to just honor certain things exist in other categories. Yeah. That's a classic example of a book that modern readers run through that 20th century Western empire slash Jesus thing is I took a book like that and just made it an awful, what Terrible. is it, a handbook yeah. to more suffering. Yeah, a demonstration of <laughs> yeah. God's shittiness yeah. is what exactly. it feels like. Exactly, yeah. instead <laughs> of, I'll tell you why this story endured. First mm-hmm. off, it's amazing literature. Mm-hmm. It speaks to the inherent uncertainty of life. Um, there is a God character, but the God character insists there's a bunch of things you can't understand. You have to make peace with that. That's essentially the God. And then the end, Job gets his stuff back, which often was the preacher's point. Hey, if you're just, you know, if you're just stay true in your trials, then you'll get your stuff back, which is like, really? <laughs> That's the goal of life is to get... <laughs> You know what I mean? Just sit and get, be miserable and get my, my things, mouth shut. It, get my instead mouth, yeah. of like a living dynamic, oh, you're right, we do. This wonderful brain of ours just obsesses over understanding some of these things. And there's a dimension to the human experience. Uh, one scholar calls it, there's a hidden depth to life that you cannot access with the intellect. And you have to make peace with that. Mm. Otherwise, you will be miserable. That's so true. You will be miserable. So the, it's a book about suffering. It's also about being free from certain forms of misery. Mm-hmm. And you can actually be free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It becomes a very... Yeah, you, then you end up having a completely different discussion. You see all these new truths you wouldn't have seen if you were stuck in sort of a... What, well, did asking all these details. What about his kids? Right. Get it's a story. M- it misery moved people for thousands of years. <laughs> it had like a dangerous... It's brutal and yet weirdly comforting. It's all these different things. Mm. But you know what? It's easier to just look at things from that one perspective of this is how you read every single yeah. book and this is how you and look at it. And it secretly just yeah. makes people miserable. Yeah. I was going to say, it makes life harder. It's like <laughs> easier to comprehend initially, but then it just right, makes right, right. things mm-hmm. worse. Right. It actually, it, it's, it's, um, it's a bit childish. Mm-hmm. It keeps things. And that's the thing always is there's generally there'll be some invitation to grow up. Uh-huh. So, so oftentimes the angst is, oh, I'm insisting on this experience, this loss, this pain. I'm insisting on this existing in these nice, simple categories. And growing up is always about going, oh, it's a bit more complex than that. Mm. It's a bit more nuanced. It's a bit more ambiguous than that. Okay. So and that's one thing so the Bible that. just brings again and again and again and again. This thing is way more dodgy than you first realize, and that's okay. So do you think we have permission to... Uh, <laughs> yes. What we were taught yes. is... <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> cherry picking is what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. You know that term. Well, you're just cherry picking from the Bible. You're picking and oh, choosing what you want to... Mm-hmm. Good Lord. And I hope mm-hmm. that we get to because... 
you know what? I want to wear earrings and braid my hair and I want to be able to. I want tattoos. I want to be able to talk back to my partner, my my male partner. I want, I mean, I don't know. I absolutely, yeah. People uh, who say that are, but they do it. No one, I don't know anyone who absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely truly wants to live. uh, This idea of a sanitized, objective, perfect it, those texts are messy. Uh, the four Gospels don't agree with each other on exactly what went down mm-hmm. in the resurrection accounts because it's human beings. Uh, it's human beings capturing yes, right. living, breathing history. We could each leave this interview and talk about what exactly happened, and we would write, well, we talked about this. We, one, of, one of us would leave out whole things we talked about. It's going to resonate differently. Yeah. yeah, so the idea of this like pristine exists in a clear plastic wrapper um, that's not what the scripture is. It's, it's much more powerful than that. So this like, well, you're, you know, it's the whole scripture. What's interesting is the people who would say that oftentimes, once again, you, thou doth insist too much. Mm. You know what I mean? You're, it's because you're skipping all over the place. Mm -hmm. So let's just say these stories move us and some stories move us more than other stories. And some stories we have no idea what they're talking about and we can't make heads or tails of it. And other stories are like, ooh, that's about me today. That's how it works. Right. Yeah. It's active. And that's fine. So when you think about Jesus, is Jesus to you the son of God, the atonement, or is this a metaphorical? Yeah, what a great question. Because people have been using, even in, even the first followers, when they're talking about him, are using, they have all of these images from their world. Oh, he's like this. He's mm-hmm. like that. Okay, well, let's take son of God. Son of God was a term used to describe Caesar. Julius Caesar was believed to have come from the gods. That was a story that began to be told about him. So the most powerful man in the world was called the son of God. <laughs> and because Zeus, obviously, because he had won so many battles, obviously he was connected with Zeus and mm-hmm. the, the Roman pantheon. So son of God was somebody who had a special relationship with the divine. So when Jesus comes along, of course the storytellers are going to use this phrase. This was the, like, they're looking around their world going, what am I going to call this guy? It has to be, yeah. He has to be a son of God. Mm -hmm. Although he's a son of God who at every turn doesn't act like the son of God. From the story of his birth on. So Mm -hmm. um, this was like a picture, this is a picture this is a word, this is a phrase that was used. They use it, but then tell a story of a very different kind of God. And every time he's asked, he prefers the term son of man, which means like human one. So when someone says, do you literally believe he's the son of God? Do I literally believe that he's a figure of speech <laughs> from the first century that had sociopolitical implications? Right. Uh, do you know what I mean? Right, That's right. where it gets funny yeah. is, do I think... This Jesus had a unique relationship with the divine, if we're going to go by. Absolutely. Do I think he speaks and reveals in some unique historic way? Yeah, I'm in. Mm. Um, Do I believe that something happens with heaven and earth and all of humanity in this story? Yes. Yeah, Mm. of course. Of course. Do I believe everybody's loved? Yes. Do I believe everybody's been reconciled? To the depths of reality, yeah, I think we're okay. You know, I mean, I can go mm-hmm. on and on and on. That's why the 
the implication that you can ask the question, and you get a yes or no. You know what I mean? Because that was the <laughs> thing you're yeah. describing is, well, do you believe yes or no? Yeah. Well, wait, you're asking me a question. That question's an invitation. Yeah. And do I think it leads to this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and do I think this has a resonance that's both individual and historical? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do these stories do something to me? Yeah. Do yeah. you feel like there are things, you, anything <laughs> you strongly don't believe? That's kind of a funny way of asking that. But are there like things about the Bible or Jesus or God that you can say you don't believe about them? Huh. Uh, even even like believing to me is always gets translated into what is it? How do you live? Um, as opposed to the arrangement of intellectual furniture. Yes. You say yes to this or no to this. Yes to this. How is your intellectual furniture arranged? To me, the 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 Jesus story is so much. It's a way of being in the world. So I always translate it into, well, how do you live? Are some ways, some ways are better than others. Mm-hmm. Some ways mm-hmm. are life giving. Some ways get you all bound up and tied up. Mm-hmm. So I generally, for me, all the belief questions get translated into, how am I trying to live? Which I actually think is what Jesus is doing again and again. Is he's going to hold on? I'm about you tasting. I'm about you getting the water. I'm about you having the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can like arrange it all you want in your head. Actually, a friend of mine is a rabbi here in town, and we were having this fascinating discussion. So I was like, "What are the what are the things you're trying to get your people to believe? Like, isn't there like a like, you have nine things or twelve things? Is there like a list on the wall?" And he's like, uh, "No, nothing." Like, yeah, but I mean, isn't there like, you know, if they're part of your synagogue after a while, you'd want them to affirm. And he's like, no, there's no like thing that, uh, okay, how about the kids? Like, what are you trying to get all the kids? It's like, no, there's nothing. He's like, oh, wait, there is one thing. The only thing is for us uh, that kids will learn how to ask questions. And then he goes, oh, yeah, because in Torah, when there's the Passover celebration, there's four questions that make this night unique. And so the kid asks the parent, why do we celebrate this? And then the parent says, well, because we were enslaved in Egypt. And then the parent tells what it meant. So it's like asking good questions. That's the only, that's the only thing. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Wow. Isn't that interesting? Yes. But like the idea uh, from what you've talked about, the backgrounds you come from, there was like a thing like in the people needed to get like a body of something, mm-hmm. nine things, seven things, 12 things. And if they didn't, like in a kid was almost like, just make a, like a pill and then jam it into the kid's head and heart. And then we're good. Or you know push I mean? the kid until they step within the boundary. And yeah, then exactly. when, once they're within exactly. that boundary, they're safe. And if they're a toe right. out, that's not mm-hmm. safe. So that's get, a relatively, make sure they're in there. And it's important to point out, that's a relatively new understanding. So you even think about uh, maybe the first 500 years of church history. If you came and said, I want to be a Christian wonderful. Come back next week. Try the way of the Christ. Live it with us. We're going to take care of the poor. We're going to have a meal. We're going to make sure everybody's rent's paid. We're going to chant, sing, light some candles. We're going to do our best to welcome in the stranger. Join us and see how it works for you. And maybe down the road, maybe, maybe a couple years in, if you're like, yeah, this way, Maybe then we'll do like a baptism service and we'll celebrate new life and you being a part of this movement. Isn't right. that fascinating? But right. it would never be like just dim the lights, have the praise band and 
just say a prayer and know you're in. It was well, always, and, yeah. this is a way of being in the world, like a Zen master. The movement to me is what's just so fascinating Absolutely. about it. It's just constantly moving. So you can think about the invention of machines, 1800s, push a button, pull a lever, something instantly happened. And then you can see by the time you get to the 20th century with the industrial age, yeah, say a prayer, do a confession, do a something, and then you're, you can see how the mechanisms yeah. of machines began to shape how people think about spirituality. So-and-so's in, so-and-so's out. You could do some sin or some bad thing and suddenly you're out. You could do some good thing, prayer, confession, bow your head, and then you're in, which is much more reflective of the age Yes. Then it is the tradition, which was seeds that get planted and grow over time. Mm -hmm. Seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and... (laughs) Look at that. Look at you. You're getting set free left and right. I know. I'm just sprouting (laughs) wings over here, guys. But before we hop in, going back, speaking of intellectual furniture, (laughs) we got real furniture. (laughs) (laughs) We got a real furniture ad. (laughs) And uh, that's what I call a transition. Oh, wait. I should go in a little bit, too. Yeah, no, yes. this is our, this is our yeah. 10 minutes left oh. ad. <laughs> Look yeah. at it. It's all perfect timing. So time. You're, you're good. Perfect timing. All right, so now we get to talk about article. So we are very choosy about who we do our ads with, and we adore all of our sponsors, but there are a few that have special places in our hearts, and article is one of them. Yeah, we love Article. It's an online furniture store dedicated to modern aesthetic and Scandinavian simplicity. They have gorgeous pieces. I have one of their beautiful chairs in my house. They focus on the quality and construction, and their prices are so fair. So I'm talking savings of 30% over traditional prices because they cut out the middleman to directly sell you the goods. That also means no showrooms, no salespeople. I hate that. No Mm -hmm. pressure. Just you and the amazing furniture pieces to drool over on Article.com. Uh, I just got a stunning oval wooden dining room table with it's matching gorgeous. chairs. Oh, bless chairs, the upholstery. It's the best. And it's part of my family room now and everyone walks in and compliments it. And it looks like I dropped a huge chunk of change, which I didn't, but it's still high quality. <laughs> and when I looked at the prices online, honestly, I, I really didn't even believe it. It felt too good to be true, but it's not. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So today, Article is offering our listeners $50 off their first purchase of $100 or more. So to claim, all you have to do is visit article.com slash chatty, go to article.com forward slash chatty, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. One more time, that's article.com forward slash chatty to get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Um, So thank you so much for joining us. This is so fun. (laughs) I I have to like process this now for for a couple days, Um, but uh, before... First of all, anything coming up? I've been to a few of your Largo shows, and oh yeah, those were amazing. Are there? Yeah, there's a Largo up? show coming up uh, May 14th. Okay, this will drop next week, next Tuesday. So there you go. It's, yeah, it's a new one called Son of a Judge. I'm doing this whole new thing on uh, where we come from and how mm-hmm. it shapes who we are. And um, I'd have the Introduction to Joy tour. Okay. So I'll like. Be Fresno, Santa Barbara, Fresno, Portland, Seattle. From. Oh, nice. Portland, Seattle, mm-hmm. San Francisco are coming up. Chattanooga, Knoxville, Louisville. Then I go over to England for a while. So, Fun. yeah, and then there'll be another leg this fall. So I'm always out touring and such. So you can check out your website, robbell.com. Absolutely. Um, and see everything that's going on. Also, the Robcast. Uh, please. Five stars, broads. Check it out. You can get all these, all sorts of amazing questions talked about. Um, Wait. Yes. 
we didn't ask you the question that we ask every single damn guest. Oh, should we end it. on that? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I also just want to say one more thing really quick. One thing that you said that I really that really resonated with me, especially the way that I was brought up, is that Christianity became this sort of thing of um, more about what you don't do than what you mm. do. And I just found that so powerful, and I just kind of wanted to share that with our listeners because I think it's really freeing to... Mm. I, I always was like, well, I feel like I'm trying to do all these things for other people, but how is it that if I'm still doing this thing, I'm still not good enough because I'm still doing something that's I've been taught is bad or wrong. You know, I'm I'm living with my boyfriend, having a baby with him, but I'm still putting so much of my heart and soul into the world and into other people. How can I, you know, how can that be bad? Anyway, I just thought that would be kind of a freeing thing to share with listeners. I think it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Anyway, the question is... Oh, yeah. Wait. Okay, got it. If you were on death row, what would your last meal be? Tacos. That's exactly what our last guest answer was. Absolutely. From anywhere, specifically? Pretty much every day. (laughs) Uh, Probably, well, I'd probably make them myself. I guess you can on death row, but... Yeah, you can't do that on death row. They might might allow it. Maybe they open up the kitchen. It's like a, a sacred ritual for me. Tacos. Yeah. What kind of tacos? Uh, I make a taco out of avocado called a taco vado with my own salsa. Ooh. My taco vados are pretty strong. So if no this meat. gig If this gig always, ever falls apart, taco I would just do a truck, truck with taco vado, and then we have a lemon <laughs> tree with some lemonade that I make. My wife always, Kristen always laughs, like your taco vado thing. You could really do that. Or I do a grass-fed bison Oh. Taco with like a. This is definitely a store that would flourish in LA. Yeah. Between Taco Vados and Bison Tacos. I think you just started I know, anyways. And they're pretty good. Most of, like, if you come to my house, I would make you. Most people come in the door. I'm like, oh, hell flour yeah. Flour or corn tortillas, and away we go. That, that's how I'm it like, works. Cool. I'm never leaving, <laughs> leaving ever. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, Rob, we have literally a billion more questions, but we so appreciate you Well, for this the round. Time. This round, all right. This was fantastic. Yeah. I loved your questions. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We really really enjoyed it. And I think our listeners will too. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, Broads. Chat soon.